Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Rise and shine, everybody. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is the weekend edition of the early line. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. I'm Dane. He's Kevin. And Kevin, I got to tell you something. We spent a ton of time talking about how the sausage is made in baseball, in hockey, in basketball. But here comes MLS, right? And I think our headline today is not only does MLS have like a union labor owner agreement, not only do they have some of the details, right? We know dates. We know they will be in Disney World as well. They also had the draw for their tournament and Mad people were watching. I was one of them. Before we kind of get into the teams and who benefited and who didn't, I think it's clear MLS is really going to uh, seize the day here in July. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think that, you know, there was more people that have been talking about the golf that's been going on uh, and can carry on into this weekend. I think we've seen it with the Bundesliga. We saw it again even with that quick pop. For KBO, it'll be really interesting to see. I think now, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there who are correcting by saying, you know, this is not the first American team sport that's back. The NWSL uh, returned sure. first, and that's and that's fair. I think the idea though is that the MLS is some not a major league, right? But there is some name recognition yeah. to the league, right? I mean, like it was I was gaming on on NHL, right? Also as the fourth sport in this country. I, I would say that it is more fair to liken the NWSL to say the KBO and the MLS is again, it's almost in its own tier figuring out what it is. But we know that soccer continues to grow in this country. It's again, I mean we're talking about the, the biggest sport in the world. So it's gonna eventually start to creep its way into uh the States more and more and more. I, I'm excited uh, about this in a number of ways. And, and I have to say, Dane, I, I think from getting competitive sports back and in this type of way will be fun. I think from a gambling perspective, oh, yeah. we might be looking at one of like our most enjoyable experiences yet. Because, I mean, I wasn't really doing a lot of this back when group play was a thing as much. And I'm talking when I mean that, in the World Cup? I wasn't betting during the World Cup as much, right? Or, right. or say during the Euros. So for me, I mean, the odds of, you know, who's going to advance with the group odds and, and all mm-hmm. of these different ways that we're going to be able to get after it. I am very, very excited uh, about this MLS reopen. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just get some of the details for those of you who do not know just yet. All 26 teams will be participating. This is not like the NBA or the NHL, uh, where only some of them, because they only had two games of the regular season starting. In essence, we're you know we're wiping the slate clean. It's gonna be you know like you mentioned, the group stage followed by the knockout. This is going to go, Kevin. The championship is gonna be on August 11th. Okay, the first game is gonna be on July 8th, the group stage game. And by the way, this. Will open with host city Orlando against expansion Miami, uh, inter Miami, new squad to MLS. They're going to do, you know, the battle of Florida to kick off this MLS tournament. That's going to happen, Kev, on July 8th. This is going to run a champion. Well, you know, the champion of the tournament will be crowned on August 11th. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is going to go up, you know, the 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 semifinals of this is going to be happening right as, right, maybe baseball gets back, maybe basketball gets back. They are going to have that month to really claim the attention of the sports fan that are going to get into it. The winner of this tournament, Kevin, earns a berth into the CONCACAF Champions League, so there are some stakes on the line. There's also just straight cash, homie, to yep. take Randy Moss, right? There is 1.1 million dollars as a prize pool uh, to, you know, kind of uh, raise the interest, let's say, of these players. And then they're going to, you know, resume the regular season after this uh, because they believe that once we hit mid-August, these teams will be able to go back to their home markets and hopefully, you know, the coast is a little bit more clear. I'm very excited about this, and we're going to get a full month. The other thing I think is great about this, Kevin, 
it's going to be the only game in town and it's going to be, you know, wall to wall soccer. It looks like there will be games every single day, at least in the group stage for the first couple of weeks, right? At like 9 a.m., again at 8 p.m., and at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to get three games a day. I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be wall-to-wall soccer, and people are going to watch. Yeah, it's and what is – I think that, that point right there that you just made is key, the idea of it being wall-to-wall. Yeah. There's not going to be an opportunity. If you tune in and right. find yourself interested, they're not going to give you a gap to tune out. Now, there's going to come a point where you're going to be up against other sports. But again, you'll be into the tournament already. You know, you'll be so deep. You'll be so invested. And honestly, I think the thing is, it's easier to draw viewers the more that's at stakes. Right. So for you to have your group play pretty much in an open field is exactly what you need. If the semifinals are running up against, you know, NBA playoff games, plus you're not going to do amazing. You're going to do much better. Right. Than you probably would have under some some other circumstances here but i mean think about this also kevin you know it's something still of a moving target right with the nba when it might come back right but we're hearing now like late july early august right and so if that's the case this tournament is going to be in its you know quarterfinals semifinals finals when it's really not the nba playoffs when it's those eight regular season games that are happening right and you know obviously the nba rings more bells in this country than mls i'll give you that right but when you think about it, if it's like the semifinals of this tournament that you've been following for the last three weeks getting into, and it's not the first round of the playoffs, it's, you know, your random, you know, uh, you know, uh, Pelicans versus Jazz, you know, Wednesday night game, I might watch the semifinals if my team is following it, you know? So I really think that the time frame is perfect for MLS. Yeah, I, I think I think it can work out pretty nicely for them. I think one of the interesting things, Dan, that I've come across is kind of the uh, allotted kickoff times yeah. that they're going to be rolling with. I think um, it's like one in the morning and then two at night every day. I think so. It's from the Eastern Standard Time, I believe. It's from what I'm seeing here. 9 a.m., right. 8 p.m., right. 10.30 at night. Yeah, that's right. And, so one in the morning and two at night back to back. Oh, I see. I thought you meant 1 a.m. <laughs> no, no, no. 9 a.m., Yeah, yeah, yeah. 8 p.m. Oh. 10.30 p.m., 1 in the morning, right? So we'll wake up, and there's soccer. And yeah. then prime time at night, you got two soccer matches back-to-back, yeah. and it even goes late because, you know, obviously with the West Coast. And it's smart for them, actually, for two reasons. One, the reason they're doing it is because of the, how the heat's going to play in Orlando. It's, like, yeah. dangerous conditions. You can't uh, expose yourself to that. But the other is, and, you know, we're now accustomed to this, right, Dane, from, you know, betting on European soccer and talking European soccer now is a lot of their matches are midday because of the time difference. Absolutely they're never true. on they're never on at eight o'clock at night. So right. you're getting in there. Mm-hmm. Actually those primetime games are the best case scenario. Those are going to be really your marquee matchups. That's the spot so. that they should be looking for, man. I I, I, mean, I literally yesterday, 1030, I, Dane, I was just like, man, I got nothing to do. Like I was just looking oh, around. Which soccer match to watch that I can get yeah. into. Absolutely. It was, you know, and obviously, you know, we've kind of all been in this state for a while, but a lot of times, you know, I can find myself doing different things. Yesterday was one of those days that I was like, I got nothing going on. Yeah. And and here's the other thing, the golf that was going on, right? That's in the middle of the afternoon also, avoiding when MLS is playing early in the morning and then late night. I think you're right. Not even that they're grabbing the month of the calendar, right? But they're grabbing the time of the day. Everything is primed and ready to go for this to do a big number in this country with sports fans absolutely starved. Hey, Kev, let's go and look at the groups, okay? Because the way it wound up and just, I don't know how big fans everybody here is, of MLS, right? But they did three groups for the Eastern Conference, three groups for the Western Conference, all right? In the uh, Western Conference, all right, there were three what are called, like, the seeded teams, all right? The Seattle Sounders, they are the, you know, defending champs, right? Um, Then you had LAFC, they had the highest record, uh, the best points last year uh, were in the semifinals, and then Real Salt Lake, who was the next highest points getters. Those were the seeded teams. They were in B, D, and F. The Eastern Conference seeded teams are uh, Toronto and Atlanta, the two semifinal teams that made it to the Eastern Conference semis, and then Orlando. 
as the host city, all right? And all the groups have four teams, except for Group A with Orlando, that has six. So it's a little bit different. And I'm telling you, there were some interesting pieces of the draw, Kevin. For example, many people believe that Group F, where LAFC is in, that's like the group of death, okay? If you've ever heard of that, you know, in Overdraw, there's always a group that's kind of unlucky. And boy, in my opinion, Kev, it is Group F. They get LAFC, the LA Galaxy. So you get the LA versus LA kind of classical rivalry in there. And you get the Portland Timbers, another kind of year-in, year-out contender. Three of the four teams in that group are, you know, high-quality teams that probably expected to make the round of uh, 16. And I got to tell you, I'll get into it in a second, but I'm very excited for the draw that my squad, NYCFC, got. But they got some other rivalries, Kev. You know, you got Toronto versus Montreal in Group C. Uh, Atlanta and the Red Bulls have had some battles recently. And, of course, you get Orlando and Miami kind of put there together, uh, representing Florida in Group A to kick it off. Yeah, I think what stands out to me, right, and it's going to be just interesting to watch this play out, is the fact that Group A has six. Yes. That they were not able to get an even distribution through yeah. the groups, which is, again, like that's what happens when you have a 2016 league, right, with the East having a couple more bodies than the West. Sure. Now, instantly, my, my owner, GM, I can't help but say, man, if this is a hit, you got to start thinking about expanding into more, more, you know, rosters, right? More teams, right. more clubs. Well, they eight. have expanded. They were expanded this year. They welcomed two new squads right. this year to MLS. But, you know, I mean, they have been expanding. And to your point, Kevin, if MLS continues to grow in this way, this could be, you know, a springboard to even more. Uh, but they have been expanded. MLS has been growing. And they have a great opportunity to really, you know, hit the B turbo button or whatever it is on their acceleration and i'd have to think because you know we look through it right and they don't, they don't have all the lines up for us just yet dane and i perhaps part of that is we don't have the schedules because yeah. like i know the sounders will play dallas right, right. they'll play vancouver san jose and they, right and no problem whereas with the group of six it's not yeah. as exact so, right. And they have done that kind of like additional draw. And we'll do that on the other side of the break. Tell you what the round robin does look like in Group A. Kevin, my squad, NYCFC, is also in Group A. And I got to tell you, I really like the draw. Okay, I'll tell you why. Um, from an NYCFC fan or point of view. Remember I mentioned to you that it was Toronto and Atlanta that were the seeded teams in the other ones. I think, first of all, this group gets the benefit. Orlando is kind of a mid-level team in the Eastern Conference, and they become the seeded team, right? So it's good to avoid Toronto and Atlanta. New York City FC did that. I'll tell you why else I love Group A, and then kind of what the Group A round robin looks like. We are off and running. It is the weekend edition of the early line. Kevin and I giving you the edge. Come on back for more. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back into the early line here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. Kevin and I are looking at the MLS draw because we think it's going to do numbers. We think that in the month of July, you know, it's going to be the only game in town. And I mean, Kevin, think about it. The World Cup is usually in July, right? It's a summer kind of thing, and it grabs my attention. I know it grabs yours, and I think it has an opportunity to grab the nation's attention. There will be six groups. Right. But then ultimately, after the group stage, the way they're going to do it is they're going to take the top two teams of all six groups. That'll give you 12. And then they will take the four best third place finishers. All right. So more than half of these groups, Kev, are going to have like all but one 
make it to the round of 16. You know, I talked about Group F potentially being the group of death. It is very possible that LAFC, the Galaxy, and the Portland Timbers, for example, qualify, but whoever finishes in third will probably have a very bad draw in the round of 16 facing, you know, one of the other group winners, you know, and just kind of kind of being behind the eight ball when it gets to the knockout stage. But I was talking about Group A, which is the group, Kev, that has six teams in it, all right? And I want to tell you why as a new york city fan mm. i'm really excited about this okay i told you first of all orlando is like the seeded team of this group right so it's good to have orlando in that spot they get the honor because they were the host not because of their performance if that makes sense right mm -hmm. there's always like think about it russia was the world cup host they were a seeded team in a group everybody wanted to be in that group because you know they were the one seed as opposed to you know germany or brazil right so it's the same theory then you know they had already before the draw kev put miami in that group miami's an expansion team all right. And so like, cool. I get one of the expansion teams in my group. Right. Then also in that group is the Chicago Fire. Kev, the Chicago Fire were one of the dregs of the Eastern Conference last year, all the way at the bottom of the table. All right. Then you also get Nashville. Kev. Nashville was an expansion team last year, okay? And they were an expansion team in the Western Conference last year. They are the team that was just moved over to be in the East to kind of even it out a little bit for this tournament, all right? So what you got is the weakest seeded team. In essence, two uh, expansion teams in Miami and Nashville, the Chicago Fire, who were at the bottom of the conference last year, and the Philadelphia Union. The Philadelphia Union are a playoff contending team, as was NYC. Kevin, NYCFC went into last year's playoffs as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They got upset in the first round, but this is a team that has been in the playoff year after year for the last two or three years in a row. These other squads, literally with the exception of Philadelphia, don't have any kind of you know recent form or history of being a contender. I think this shapes up very well for NYC and for the Philadelphia Union. Yeah, it's huge, and I think it's going to be really then interesting to see if, I guess, this somewhat home field advantage Orlando right. City has, but not really, right, matters at all. I just think in general, we'll see how much variance applies here to the MLS. Right. We've talked about this constantly with these leagues, right? And if you were to look at it, right, you would think, okay, NYCFC is certainly going to be moving on, right? The well, Sounders... One of the top three. Exactly, right? Well, the, the Sounders should have no issue. Toronto right. should have no issue. Yes. Both LA squads should have through. no problem as well as Atlanta United, right? Like, And those are your favorites, those they are your seeded teams, right? There should be no issue there, especially as you mentioned, right, with two from each group and then the four the best third place, teams, yeah. uh, third place teams will be moving on. It should be no issue for them, but it will be fun to see if there's a big shock. Because a lot of times, right, with the way the World Cup goes, you know there's a shock. Now, the World Cup is, I believe, strictly just two teams moving forward, where the Euros... Well, they expanded the field also recently in the World Cup, didn't they? And so I think they have gone to this idea of some of the third place teams qualifying as more the tournaments Euro. expand. Okay. Yeah, I know that's in the Euros. It could have as well been in the World Cup. Fair but enough, but it's not I, like this is not completely uncommon or unique no, to also go down to the third. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and because I, I know the Euros do it. I, okay. I don't, I'm not sure about the World Cup. It's it's going to be really interesting to see um, again because the reality of the group stage is, and this is why I kind of came around to it somewhat in the NBA idea, although I understood why they didn't do it. Although I think it's a conversation worth having again when the season is over. Is all of the group stage games are playoff games. They just, they're all playoff games with stakes, but yeah. they're also fresh matchups. Right. And, and that's the thing that a group stage is able to achieve that is somewhat seem, would seem like an impossible idea. More games that have more on the line mm -hmm. with fresher matchups. I mean, that checks every single box. Word up. You shouldn't be able to check every, you should not be able to check every box <laughs> the way a group stage does. And that's another reason why, just in general, I am so excited for the return of the MLS.
Yeah, absolutely. You know, any teams that get bounced out will play a minimum of three games. The two teams that wind up in the championship will play a maximum of seven games. So similarly, you know, and by the way, Kevin, a couple other notes real quick. These will count as regular season games in the regular season standings, okay? All of these games. Because after this tournament, they will resume the regular season with these records at play. So I think that is very interesting. They also, for Group A, did another draw of like kind of what the round robin will be and what teams you know will have to actually face each other because you will only play three games which means two of the teams in group a you will not see in this count of round robin you know i mentioned that i'm an nyc fan um kev the one thing that i don't like for nycfc is that this is all being played in orlando mm -hmm. um nycfc i don't know how familiar you are kev but in you know in basketball, everybody plays on the same court, right? In the NBA, right? However, in baseball, right? Ballparks are different shapes and sizes, right? Um, and so, in the and the MLS is closer to Major League Baseball with that. Every there is a range, Kevin, of um, playing fields in terms of how narrow they're allowed to be or how wide they're allowed to be. And uh, if you're a big MLS fan, you know that New York City plays its games at Yankee Stadium, which is obviously a baseball field, and doesn't have as much space as most other MLS pitches, okay? It is notoriously known NYCFC pushes the boundaries, Kev, of having the narrowest field possible at Yankee mm -hmm. Stadium, okay? And so NYC has, you know, organized their personnel to be able to play in that way, kind of in a bandbox, right? So they have guys that are good with the ball at their feet and they play out of the back, things like that. They have constructed their team to play on, you know, what 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 opponents call the postage stamp field of Yankee Stadium and they have a roster that works for that. You know what I mean? As opposed to now having to play all those games in Orlando. I'll also just add this. Remember, I did say that um, these teams had played two games of the regular season so far. NYC was also in the CONCACAF Champions League at the same time. So they were kind of prioritizing that, not putting out their big studs and stuff like that. Check this out. Out of the 12 games so far that all these six teams have played this season so far, they have combined for zero wins so far. Okay, so this is the opposite of the group of death. Philly had a loss and a tie. Miami, two losses out the gate. Uh, Nashville, two losses out the gate. Chicago, a loss and a tie. Um, Orlando, a loss and a tie. And even NYC did have two losses out the gate. These were happening at the same weeks when they were playing like Tigres in Mexico and a Costa Rican squad. So it lines up, I think, well for NYC, except for the idea that they're playing on an extremely narrow field. Did you know that, that there's actually a range in the side of fields in the MLS? I did um, because of NYCFC yeah. a couple a couple years back. I was like, oh, okay, there are a lot yeah, of kind of change narrow. the dimensions. I think that'll also then prove important for the warm-ups, right? Mm -hmm. That they're you know there's gonna they're gonna yeah. have a little bit of a Training, ramp up yeah. period. You know they're not showing up day one and playing. Yeah, they get so, there on July on June 24th, and the first games are July 8th, so about yeah. two weeks. Which is which is about right. And, and through that point, then they'll all be so acclimated. I would argue that they should be fine then um, and settled in. I, I would personally, I would like to think it, again, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see because this is the one thing um, like I know right now, right in basketball, we're hearing a lot about like Mark Gasol and Nikola Jokic apparently have transformed their bodies over. Right. Right. right? Um, Jokic looks like Porzingis apparently. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> we are not as familiar with the names, right. When it comes to the MLS. Fair. So it'll be up to us then to do our research and to try and figure out other spots that those who are frequently, frequently, frequently following this league that point out and say, oh, okay, this guy looks off or this guy right. looks way on. And those are the type of things as well, Dane, that we're going to have to look for to see if we can find an edge.
No, absolutely. And that's why we bring on people like Martino to do the same thing for us at the beginning stages of Bundesliga. You know, obviously, NYC will be able to, like, figure it out. I'm just saying it's more like they lose potentially the home field advantage. Sure. When other teams come into Yankee Stadium, it takes them maybe more of an adjustment uh, than anybody having to adjust to what is more of a standard kind of size pitch. But I am very excited. And we are inside of a month of when we're going to see American team sports. We saw we saw golf and the Charles Schwab Classic getting going this weekend. The UFC is going on. Buzz about the NBA and the NHL and even Major League Baseball. Remember yesterday we talked about Rob Manfred pretty much guaranteeing we're going to have a season. We just don't know how many games there are going to be in it. You know, when we come back, Kev, you know, you brought to my attention a couple days ago this interesting piece that we want to dive into. Imagine if you could clean slate the entire NFL. Right. And I tell you all the time, put on your GM hat. But if you could, and I mentioned earlier in the week that if I could take any player in the National Football League, my guy would be Russell Wilson as kind of the idea of the merging of the youth and skill and athleticism with the idea of the experience, maturity and mind for the game. And so I said that a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. And then you said, look, they did it. They had a draft, and I think my guy Russell finished second, or not finished second, but was the number two yeah. pick, I believe, to Patty Mahomes, which I understand. I'm just giving – I like the experience. But we're going to take a look at that, okay? We're going to take a look at that when we come back. We're going to see how your team did. We'll see how my team did. We'll see what would you have done in the kind of parameters that were outlined. I find it very interesting, and I'll have questions for you like, you know, is it a fait complete that you have to take your quarter? quarterback right out the gate would you lean with a young quarterback or an older one or one in their prime like I'm talking about what other position would you prioritize I bet you and I have different answers for that so a lot to dig into and we're going to try to build our teams from scratch that's what we're going to do on the other side of the break Kevin um you got any opening thoughts here for about you know 30 seconds before we dive in on the other side of the break I'm excited to dig into this yeah, for anybody that's seen this piece, I guess the best thing I can tell you is, Chiefs fans, you're welcome, because the writer who initially did this managed to draft two running backs. And you can make a strong argument that no running back should have been drafted in this exercise. To draft two of them is so <laughs> that crazy. That is the argument we have been making on this show over the course of the last few yeah. years. We'll keep it going and make some more arguments about smart team construction when we come back. It is the early line, putting the fun and functional sports content. Come on back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back into the early line here on SportsGrid. Kevin and I, you know, we're intrigued, this idea of, like, the clean slate start from scratch NFL draft, you know, and... The way they did this, it was a you know a poll of experts, I believe, from ESPN. And what they did was the the in essence, the parameters were you had to come out of these first four picks with one quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. One non-quarterback offensive player, one defensive player. And then the fourth, you know, you could get one however you wanted, to, whatever struck your fancy, whatever you wanted to kind of prioritize. And there was the assumption that, like, the rest of the roster would, in essence, be made with, like, you know, replacement level folk, you know, that'll that'll fill it out and, you know, contracts kind of be damned a little bit, right? You're starting and you'd be able to sign these guys. Is that correct, Kev? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and that was definitely a key point. Don't worry about contracts here. Don't be like, oh, I got the best value for my contract. This is uh, right. A skill and position value based conversation, I would say. Yeah. And so here's the thing. First four off the board are all quarterbacks, right? right. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. I personally, as you know, would have gone Russ number one. And I actually personally, I take Deshaun over Lamar personally. Um, because I think, no, don't get me wrong, I love Lamar. He's the MVP of the league. I just think he's so more dependent on his legs. And long term, if I'm building a franchise, while I like what Lamar offers in that way, uh, I don't want to have to depend on it. I think there's more injury risk there. Whereas Deshaun Watson, I know, can make those plays. I'm just a little bit more comfortable with Watson. 
So I got to say, man, I, I think that it's this unfortunate thing, but I think Lamar and his running ability more often than not somehow Absolutely. seems to knock him. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson ripped up an ACL while in Clemson, then got to the league and ripped up the other ACL. Now, I like Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson is rightfully a top five, seven pick or so yeah, yeah, in yeah. this draft. But I had – now, this is a different argument, Dane. But the main reason why now I think I have to dig heels in and fight for Lamar Jackson is I had an argument on Endgame Live once, okay, where I was told people would prefer Jacoby Brissett long-term to Lamar Jackson. No. Okay? Because Lamar was too injury prone. And then the yeah. next week, I'm saying Deshaun Watson. Watson. That's a little right. bit. Right. That's, and that, that's my point. <laughs> okay. We're talking about different, we're talking about a different, different thing team, here, but right? Yes. But I, I think sometimes I understand why people look at Lamar and are worried for injury. I get that, right? But Patrick Mahomes missed time this year. Watson has tore up both ACLs. Like, again, I think sometimes, sure. like, Russell Wilson, you can make that argument because Russell exactly, doesn't no, miss I, I did make that argument because the durability was there even though he yeah. had that dual threat. I called him the smartest, durable one, and that is part of the my reason why he's my number one. Yeah, which, which makes sense. And my right. reason why I would see Mahomes as the first pick is basically he's hit ceilings that Russell hasn't hit, and I think if I were to say, oh, well, I trust Russell more, well, well based on what? Like, to me... Mahomes has done everything. Based on the fact that I've seen Russell do it for the better part of a decade, and I've seen Patrick Mahomes do it for two years. So wouldn't that then suggest there's a world that Mahomes could be a fluke? How could that possibly be? How could that possibly be when we have a 50-touchdown, 5,000-yard season and a Super Bowl MVP under his I understand that. And no, I do not think Patrick Mahomes is a fluke. Okay? I'm never going to say that. Mm -hmm. What? could happen though we all do expect some regression right and i don't know how much but i do expect some and i expect that some to you know knock him down a half peg right and i know that i'm not knocking russell down at all i've seen it i trust it i believe it i am almost at the point where I will tell you this is what Patrick Mahomes will do year in, year out until he's 33 years old. Um, I'm just not fully, fully there just yet. That's all. Yeah, and and for me, again, I just – I think even there was regression last year, and then he won a Super Bowl MVP. You know what I mean? So absolutely, and that's valid. That's valid, absolutely. But how about this? The regression he had last year, right – Russell Wilson hopped over him in the MVP conversation last year. Well, he, right? Mahomes missed games. And then, one of, and then Mahomes won the Super Bowl MVP. You know, so, but I'm just saying, Russell Wilson cool. is right there. And so, you know, Mahomes year one MVP, year two, you know, top five MVP pick. So, like, you know, regression is there. Let's get off the quarterbacks, though, sure. for a second, because they are the quarterbacks. And quarterbacks litter the top first, the, the top of the first round, right? Mm-hmm. Breeze is the next quarterback at eight, then Dak, then Wentz, Rodgers, Joe Burrow. So you see the difference of going with the youth versus going with the experience, right, and kind of getting those guys in the prime. That's why I think, you know, with Russell Wilson in his prime, I think you can consider Dak and Wentz the next kind of quarterbacks that are pretty much in their entering their prime. And we've seen that they, you know, uh, they can handle it. They are, in fact, franchise quarterbacks, you know. So there's those folks there. The question I want to ask you, I'm going to assume that you prioritize the quarterback, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Under that assumption, where do you go next? Um, you know, if if the level of talent, if you have Pro Bowl talent at defense still available, whatever position you prioritize, that's not the quarterback for your offense or your wild card, where are you most prone to go next? What is the number two building block for your franchise, Kev? So I think there's something to be said. And again, a lot of people vary, right? Like I've, I've come to see the, the idea of PFF can be divisive for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am someone who typically likes analytics. I, I enjoy I, I enjoy more information. Um, and there's something to be said that, you know, wide receivers and corners will provide a bit more value than, say, the people that are a bit closer to the ball. So I'd look at the wide receiver position. I, I, you know, Michael Thomas is someone who's had an interesting offseason, but he kept his production with Teddy Bridgewater in at quarterback. Like, you can't really make that whole, like, Drew Brees is his quarterback thing when he did the same exact stuff with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater. Michael Thomas is ridiculously valuable. The corners to me, Dan, and I think you'll see throughout this whole process here, completely undervalued. 
completely Yeah, the first cornerback, Stephon Gilmore, you know, is kind of the first cornerback I see go off this, and he doesn't go off the board until number 32 overall, right? So every team gets a shot at someone. I would say over half. You know, in this mock take quarterbacks, there's a little trickle of the wide receivers. You know, you mentioned Thomas gets selected, D-Hop, Evans, Tariq Hill. Intriguingly, you get a tight end here. You Mm. get George Kittle going off the board. I don't see Kelsey going off the board. So it looks like Kittle is the first tight end off the board. That could be an age thing as well. And I got to tell you what surprised me. Okay, out of the first 32 picks, unless I am missing something, I only see, Kev, I only see one offensive lineman taken. Okay, Mm -hmm. and it's Ronnie Staley, who, by the way, goes in the first six picks. Yeah. Okay, but then not another offensive lineman. I got to tell you the truth, Kev. In this parameters, right, if you take the quarterback and you are allowed to take a non uh, quarterback offensive player. I'd prioritize my damn left tackle. I really do. I think I would come out the gate. I I appreciate what you're saying with the wide receivers. But yeah. one of the things we've talked about when we do the Diamonds and Fugazis, there's just so many more, right? So if, if early on I can get truly the best left tackle in the game, right? And then in my fourth round pick, the level of wide out that I'll get. And, you know, as I scroll down, wide receivers who are going off the board, you know, in this like fourth round of this kind of – exercise, right, are still guys like Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, Stefan Diggs. So I'm okay with that, right? And if I can have a, you know, one of the best tackles in the game, I might lean there over the skill positions. Yeah, I think playing the value game is a really good point. Um, You know, I mean, I worked through this exercise um, from a first pick, 16th pick and uh, 32nd pick perspective. And, you know, I didn't take wide receiver at any of those spots. Funny enough, you mentioned George Kittle. Uh, I took Kittle at 16 because I do think that pass catchers are valuable. I think George Kittle is another breed of valuable to me Uh, from the mismatch over Kelsey. Yeah, I do. I I think the mismatch that he is cannot really be overstated. Um, We've seen it with Gronk, right? Like I, you know, there's people who said that, you know, the AFC runs through Gronk, right. Instead of Brady (laughs) and Bill, because I mean, Gronk was just another world of mismatch while also being an elite, level blocker so i look at george kittle and his ability to impact the game positively in every way imaginable is why to me i think george kittle if i had to go you know an offensive player non-quarterback he's the first one that i would take really that's interesting to me in the one that you did and you grabbed kittle 16 overall Mm -hmm. right who do you wind up with at quarterback kirk cousins okay You know, because that's the way I have to look at it. And by the way, when we talk fantasy, when we talk all this stuff, you know, it's not only that one in isolation or in a vacuum, right? That's why I ask you, who else do you wind up with to see? Because the other way to go about it, right, you wind up with, um, oh, I don't know, call it a... Call it a Carson Wentz, right? Call it a Joe Burrow. Call it a, you know, a a, a good quarterback, a, a quarterback mm-hmm. that may has more staying power than Kirk Cousins. But then on the flip side, right, you got to add them up together and see how you like the whole package. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, I obviously have the opportunity to use this through hindsight. So I'm sure. obviously not going to take someone that's been picked, but I have, you know, I have the I available players to me. If I was on the clock without hindsight at 16, I'd probably take Kyler Murray. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at, too. That's um, what I'd be looking at. But I think as you go through this uh, whole thing here, Dane, you will find that Kirk Cousins, very much so underdrafted. <laughs> and honestly, probably Jared Goff as well. I understand that we don't love Jared Goff that much, but when you talk about yeah. him going at 84 I like as you. a quarterback – Still young in this league, has yep. had good games under his belt for sure. I, I just think that that's where you I start to kind of play that value game a bit as well. This is where it, beca- it became like a fantasy. Where game. did you say Goff was? Where did he go? 84. Overall. And contrast that with Carson Wentz, who was, you know, in the same draft, same age, right? He goes 11 overall. And let's put it this way. You know, Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl, right? You know, I mean, and Carson Wentz technically has not you know he He was won a super bowl he was in street clothes for that super bowl but you know the gap there is absolutely i think a valid thing i want to ask you this because when i look at the top you know of the defensive players 
that were drafted as well. You know, you mentioned cornerbacks being underrated. Stephon Gilmore, the first one that kind of goes, doesn't go until the very end of the first round. When I look, you know, obviously Aaron Donald is the top defensive player, but then it becomes mostly pass rushers. And remember, by the way, how I talked about the Watt and the Bozas, right? Well, it goes after, after Aaron Donald, it goes Boza, Boza off the yeah. board in terms of defensive players. Joey over Nick, ironically, interestingly enough. Um, you talked about the cornerback. I think I'd get a pass rusher. Yeah, and I understand that. I, I think sometimes pass rusher is just – it's a bit more flashier because we see the stack numbers, and they're, and they're very, very easy to tell. I just think that elite-level corner man is such a difference maker. I'll tell you this, Dane. Um, when yeah, we get corner, back corner there – could I still get a good corner in round three? Tredavious White was in round three. You could you could get a, a corner late because of the way right. people approach corner in this. I will tell you this. There is a secondary player that was drafted in round three that was maybe the best value pick anybody made in this entire process. And I would argue should have been a first-round pick without a doubt. All right, fair enough. That is what we in the business call a tease. When we come back, I'm going to try and find if I know who he is talking about. Come on back. Uh, the early line is more after this sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. Kevin and I are trying to figure out how would we build our team if we had everybody in the NFL at our disposal. Before the break, Kevin mentioned that there is a member of the secondary who is in round three that he thinks could be a great value because he is one of the better defensive players in the entire league. During the break, I checked, and there was only three secondary players taken in round three. Davis <laughs> White, Darius Slay, and the guy I think he is ultimately talking Talking about, but here's the thing: I'm not going to fall for his trap, okay? Because the guy he's, I believe, talking about is New York Jets safety Jamal Adams, and I know he's just trying to trigger me because he knows that as a Jets fan, the biggest news and notes we've been seeing is this idea of Jamal Adams potentially being on the trade block. So I'm not falling for it, Kevin. But obviously, yes, I do believe Jamal Adams going in the 80s, the late 80s of this draft would represent incredible value yeah I mean Jamal Adams is maybe the best safety in the league when you want to talk about a safety that I'd want to have for the next five years I think I just... Derwin James for me yeah and and if you go and, and you Derwin look at James, Derwin James 62 by the way there's not a there's not a 20 pick gap between the Minko guys now Patrick goes 47 I'm looking at other safeties mm -hmm. go ahead yeah I just think Jamal Adams his ability to do everything I mean really right what's the knock on Jamal Adams right now he wants a franchise to commit to him? Right. Like, hey, I'm with you. That's not a knock. It's I not a knock. It. I love I, him, I and I think it's him, uh, Derwin James, and, you know, Minka as well. Minka got Defensive Player of the Year votes last yeah. year. I just – a lot of times I don't consider Minka because he came into this league as a cornerback, yeah. right, uh, down there with Miami, but absolutely. I wanted to ask you, you know, I, I also – in my idea about prioritizing positions – you know, it's all about the passing game now, Kev. You know, yeah. it's all about the passing game in the NFL these days. So if I had to come away with this with four positions on the offensive side, I'm getting the quarterback and then I'm getting the guy to protect the quarterback. I mentioned the offensive lineman on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's about rushing the quarterback and covering, you know, in the passing game. So I think I would end this exercise wanting to come out of this with a quarterback, a tackle, you know, preferably a franchise left tackle that's young, um, a, uh, an edge rusher, someone that can go get the quarterback, and then a number one shutdown corner, like a Revis Island, if you will. Those would be the four priorities I would come away with. You mentioned, you know, you're going in a little bit of the more bells and whistles toy game, right? You talked about wide receivers. You talked about George Kittle. Tell me why you're, um, or maybe I. Not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but why it looks like you may be leaning more skill positions than the way I would have approached it. Yeah, I think, again, it's just kind of analytically driven. The, the idea suggests that the wide receiver position can kind of present a bit more value to your team than the offensive line play. Now, that's not to say that an all-world 
you know, tackle isn't valuable, right? Right. Um, and I, in fact, thought that Quentin Nelson went at 77, even as a guard, was a really yeah. nice value pick because we saw what he's done for the Indianapolis Colts. I think there's just something, and on the defensive side of the ball, Dane, right, there's this push and pull, right? Like, we're acknowledging that the passing game matters, but defensive ends are being valued over corners. And right. I just, I think that, might miss the landing spot a bit. The Eagles have had the best defensive line in the league for like oh, three oh, years yeah. with one of the worst secondaries and they're vulnerable, you know, through the air quite a bit. So I would argue that corners should be, you know, heavier value. Let me just say this. Okay. Let me just give you three prime examples of guys that were undrafted in this process. Wow. Richard Sherman, Casey Hayward, Marcus Peters. Now, yeah. for Sherman and Hayward, you might say it's an age thing. And I understand. I would say it's an age there's, thing. There's no argument to be made for Marcus Peters not making this list. Here's the thing, though. with Richard Sherman is was last year one of the two best corners in football, him and Stephon Gilmore, however you want to split that. If we acknowledge that, plus the fact that he's always been good, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, he's 32 like, I looked through this this list, and, I mean, Stefan Gilmore went in the first round at the age of 30. Right, right, right. So that two-year gap is the difference between a guy being undrafted and going in round one. I think I would, reje I think I would reject that premise. I think Casey Hayward, again, massively undervalued. And yeah. Marcus Peters, again, might just be someone who I am still maybe higher on than the rest. But he this guy's be. been on three different teams and produced for three different teams and was probably a top five corner last year in Baltimore and helped them tremendously when he showed up. He did. You know, uh, the knock I've always had on Marcus Peters mm. is he's one of the ones who gambles a ton. So he's going to wind up having a lot of interceptions and see a lot of big-time plays, but he gets beat sometimes because he likes to take those chances. And so, you know, we talk about variance a lot, Kevin. Marcus <laughs> Peters is like a variance cornerback, and so maybe up high, you know, when people are drafting, they wanted the more stable floor. That's the thing I would yeah. think about. You know, Kevin, the one other thing I want to mention here in this draft exercise is the running back position. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about the running back position, you know, Dalvin Cook with his holdout. We've been talking about team construction, what I call the RBB3 going on. In this exercise, there were seven running backs that were drafted overall. McCaffrey at 20. Dalvin Cook was the second running back taken. And I think that's interesting because this, in essence, is almost a list of in absolute, right, who might be worth that kind of contract, that bell cow extension kind of contract. And it's ironic to me because we've been having this conversation over the last few weeks when we look at these guys and, of course, with the Dalvin Cook news. But here's how it went. And I want to get your take on this. Here are the seven that got selected that I saw. McCaffrey at 20, Cook at 33, Saquon at 39, mm -hmm. then Derrick Henry at 46, yeah. Alvin Kamara, you know, coming up, right, at 51. Josh Jacobs at 76, and then Nick Chubb at 96. I did not see Ezekiel Elliott on this list, um, Kevin. So maybe it was a glancing blow and I just mistook it and didn't see him as I scrolled. But could that be an age thing, a wear and tear thing for Zeke? Um, or just the idea of, look, People are not prioritizing the running back position, okay? There's dope running backs that are left off this list. And even, you know, Dalvin Cook, only one goes in the first round. I think that yeah. also speaks to what we've been talking about, the running back position, and how um, you allocate resources towards it. Yeah, so, and, and just, he, Zeke ended up going 60th overall. Oh, he was on this um, list? I yeah, I, I wanted to check. Well, look, the, the way the list is. Oh, fun. yeah, there you go. Okay, my bad. It's not, it's not, it's not the most efficient Between way. Between Kamara and Jacobs, got it. But I think when I look through this running back position, I, again, I, I know people are kind of getting get pulled in by it, right? But realistically, man, like, it's not the value play. And I personally just can't get over the Kansas City uh, drafter getting two running backs on his roster. Like, that just, what are you doing? You know what I mean? And, and the I one thing I actually— for team construction, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I, I think um, one of the interesting things, though, is— the Chiefs drafter took, uh, I believe it was the second to last quarterback, and it was Tyrod Taylor. Hmm. Philip Rivers was still on the board. Interesting. And 
so I said, you know, who that's what have, the real life Chargers are doing also. Right. <laughs> so I said, who would I have grabbed from this bunch? Right. That was undrafted. Would I have taken Tyrod? Would I have taken Phillip Rivers? No, you know, Phillip Rivers is a little too old for me. Tyrod, I like what he's got there, but maybe I've got some better options. So I'll tell you who I picked, and I'll tell you the two names I considered first. Yeah. I considered Jalen Hurts, and I said, oh, you're walking into a a world of bias points by drafting Jalen Hurts in this exercise. But I think that Jalen Hurts, had he landed elsewhere, maybe could have made this list, potentially. Mm. I considered Nick Foles. Same issues, walking into a world of, of points that you are biased. But again, Nick Foles is someone whose uh, season I'm very excited to watch. I ultimately chose who I think maybe you could argue, based on the position, the most undervalued guy, I guess, in the league. And it's Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew last year was the best rookie quarterback. Daniel Jones flew up this draft. He wasn't better than Kyler Murray. Kyler, I always... The problem with Kyler Murray, you forget Kyler Murray, right, yeah. he was so obviously better than the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, 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 right. That I totally but I'll give you him over, say, Danny Dimes or Haskins, yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff, but not Kyler Murray. No, and I couldn't agree more. Okay, okay. okay? But Drew Locke went 15, yeah. right? Again, Daniel Jones climbs up this list. Like, Gardner Minshew, undrafted, unwanted by his own team. I thought if you were to play the waiting game at quarterback, right? Up with them, yeah. I thought Gardner Minshew, wherever you wanted, or Kirk Cousins within the first 68 picks were the two best quarterback values you could find. Yeah, that's that sounds fair. A very interesting exercise, and you can see how people approach team construction differently, and we've been talking about that frequently here on the early line. I want to end with some news and notes. You know, we're in a very interesting time in our society, in our country, and we're, you know, we're hearing everything from Drew Brees' comments, Jake Fromm comments, right? But also, I mean... These things are poking up also. You know, NASCAR has decided to ban the Confederate flag after Bubba Wallace, you know, made a point of it. You know, there's been some reaction to that. Kev, you know, Tory Hunter has come out and said that the reason he had a no-trade clause to the Boston Red Sox was because every time he went to Fenway, he would hear the vitriol and slander and slurs, even from kids. You know, so we continue to see that this is in our... um, in our society, right? And here's another thing I thought was very, very interesting. Pete Carroll just mentioned yesterday that, you know, he brought in Colin Cap for a workout, I remember, uh, you know, a couple years ago. No one ever asked him about it until now. So maybe now we're starting to see, again, a changing of the guard a little bit here. People inquiring about, you know, Colin Kaepernick, the the Confederate flag actually coming down in NASCAR tracks. You know, this idea that Tory Hunter feels like he can actually voice his rationale for these things. Listen to what Pete Carroll said. I want to get your thoughts on the other side of the break. Um, We only have a minute left, but listen to what Carroll had to say. I'm going to tell you something that after all of the time that, you know, the years that have passed, um, I, I never received a phone call about, about him. I never talked to another head coach about it. I never talked to anybody about it until today. I got a phone call today. I'm going to tell you who it was, but I got a phone call today in, in, in asking, inquiring about the situation. So I know, you know, somebody's interested, you know, and, and, uh, um, and I, and he, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. I, th- I thought that was the irony of that was crazy because I knew I was coming on your press conference. You guys are going to ask me a million questions about this. What do you think, Kev? I think that Colin Kaepernick has his first real chance to potentially land somewhere in this league. And it will be a very, very exciting thing if we finally do see that come to fruition. Mm-hmm. I still think it'll be Cam Newton esque, where I'm talking yeah. about Cam is best filling in for someone right who potentially is injured but i think cap could fit that same bill and it'll be cool if we get to see him take the field yeah so you know change is potentially coming in this country and i'll tell you what kevin and i'll certainly be here to talk about it one way or another next week we're really excited kev we do the new york jets and the nfc east next week to finish off our roster reset and team spotlight and then you know kevin's playoff brackets will be set you want to join us next week for all of that and we think we are getting details more in all these sports returning to play stay with us we'll see you next week it's the early line
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.